Good morning. How is everyone? Good, good. My name's Eric. If you have not met me, uh, we'd love to get to know you, help you connect to our church, answer any questions you might have out in the courtyard or online. Um, feel free to submit any questions. We'd love to get back with you. Um, just a couple of notes to take notice of. Uh, Christmas Eve, we'll have two services, 3 and 4.30. Um, I recommend you get here early uh, to get a good seat. Uh, we ask that if you are able-bodied, maybe per park a little bit further away to allow those who aren't able-bodied to have an easy access to the service. And so I just want you to be aware of that. Also, we will meet on Sunday, Christmas morning. Um, if, if COVID taught us anything, is we do not miss church. Amen? We go to church, we celebrate the Lord as we're commanded to do. So we will have church, one service, 10 a.m., remember that. Um, just also, as you're looking at the end of the year, uh, you prayerfully consider um, just giving above and beyond in a way uh, to help continue the mission of the church. We'd ask you to consider that. And then the last thing, uh, out in the lobby, you should see just Christmas cards from my family to yours. We want to say Merry Christmas. It's good also. I know a lot of you pray for the pastors, pray for me, um, to see the prettier, better people in the family. And just uh, to say thank you and kind of know uh, who we are and what's going on. With that, and then the last thing, last thing, business meeting after this service, 11.45 in uh, the activity center. We're going to be voting on the budget, reaffirming an elder, and then voting in the new elder. So that's all you need to know. So if we look uh, at an Advent series, we don't always do this. And so why this year? Um, it's just good to take sometimes a reminder um, that the win is not getting to Christmas Eve, coming to the service, opening the presents. Um, the, the win is how we get there. The win is remembering all the elements that come um, in the birth of Jesus, that there's hope, that there's peace, that there's joy, and there's love. And so to really just focus intentionally on those things so that when, when we get to the birth, there's just this celebration, realizing all the things that are true in that singular moment and why it should be a huge celebration. So we just want to walk with you uh, in that. And then last is we enter the sermon. Last week we talked about just the idea of being at peace with God and just what a blessing that is and how important that is. And here's how the two connect is that if you are not at peace with God, you will never have his joy. What does that mean? Have you ever, have you ever thought to yourself, I, I want nothing from that person? Um, meaning if you're angry with somebody, you don't want them to give you anything because you want nothing from them, even if it's good. Have you been there? It's kind of the same thing with God. If you're at war with God, you're not going to enjoy his gifts. You're not going to enjoy what he brings. And so being at peace is really the precursor or fundamental requirement to get to a place of joy because you're not fighting with him. You're not angry with him. You're not thinking his withholding from you. You're fully satisfied. And then you can enjoy the benefits and the gifts that come and you celebrate. And there's your joy. And so as we walk into this Philippians passage, kind of my question to set our stage is, have you ever heard the phrase, you couldn't pay me enough money to do that? Familiar with the phrase, okay? Now, for me, I first learned this uh, when I was you know, 18. I was getting ready to go into college. The summer of that, I worked at a car wash. I thought, you know what? I'll go into the management side. I'll make more money. And so my boss, he said, you're going to start off as the lowest. So you learn what it's like. So for 12 hours, I washed cars and you had to do it in two minutes the inside and the out and if you know me I'm slow so it was really hard and I don't pay huge attention to detail so it was incomplete and then at the end of the day if you ever wondered where does all that dirt go it goes right into the these sides of the car wash and it builds 
And so we had to clean it all out. And so I was, it was like a 14-hour day. And I was like, I would, I would never do that again. You can't pay me enough to do that job. And he says, good, I did that so you'd still go to college. Right? And that was kind of his point, is there's things that you cannot pay me to do. It's not worth. The benefit's not worth the cost. And then on the other side of that, you notice there's sometimes people that, with a smile on their face, will greet you, say hi to you, and serve you. And it's like, why? Because they're getting paid to do that. And then the benefit is worth the cost, the angry, mean, bitter people they deal with. And so the question when it comes to joy is going to be, is do I see the benefit of Christ outweighing the cost of suffering in circumstances that aren't favorable? Because if you can't say the benefit of Christ is greater than the cost that comes with it, you will never have joy and you will never love him and experience him in the way he's designed. So we're going to pray and then just walk through this Philippians passage. Jesus, we thank you um, for the gift that is you. We're thankful uh, that you came and lived and died and rose again, that you bore the wrath of God in our place, that you allow us to be at peace with God through your blood, through your payment, through your sacrifice. Um, it's my prayer that this passage would calm our hearts. It would teach us to trust you. It would give us a greater picture of who you are and what you offer and what you bring and what you provide. And that we would just have a peace and a joy that emanates from this passage. Uh, we just pray that you would teach us and lead us in this time for your words and not mine. Uh, in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Okay, so we're in Philippians 4. We're picking it up in verse 4. And it starts off with a very strong command and imperative. It says, rejoice in the Lord always. And again, I say rejoice. Now, the most offensive part of this passage is the word always. Okay, always. And in Greek, it means always. And so that seems um, kind of maybe insensitive, as John alluded to. And so you might ask yourself the question, well, how do you do that? Aren't there moments that just scream of not rejoicing and scream of this? And so it's hard to really understand the full weight of what Paul's getting at without understanding the full context in which he is saying this. Because Paul does not write anything that he has not lived out himself first. And so to understand the full pop of this passage, uh, we got to go back to Acts chapter 16. You can go there or you can just listen to me. And I don't have time to really verse by verse exposit Acts 16. But we're going to look as that Paul was on his, on his way. He was on a missionary journey. And Philippi was not the destination he wanted to go to. He's over in kind of modern day Turkey area in Galatia, and he wants to share the gospel. And the Holy Spirit says, no, you're not going to do that. Can you imagine the Holy Spirit telling you not to share the gospel? Isn't that weird? Right? And so he's like, ah, oh. and so he gets sent some 600 miles the other direction. He gets a vision, says, hey, you need to go over into Europe, which is modern day Greece, and you're going to go into Philippi, and I want you to go there. So then he has to get on a boat, go another hundreds of miles. And so Paul at this point is going nowhere where he thought, and he's going to a place he didn't plan on being. And one of the first encounters he gets is a demon girl who is annoying him. Side note, isn't it good to know Paul got annoyed? Yeah? And isn't it good to know that he didn't, he didn't heal her right away? I, I, I think somewhat he's being annoyed, and he's like, huh. And so eventually, he casts the demon out of her. He doesn't want to be there. He's having a bad encounter. Well, she was what they would call a soothsayer or a little bit of a fortune teller through that demonic uh, presence. And, and so now, the demon's gone. She no longer has that ability. What well, makes her masters, 
angry because she's lost the ability to give them money. So Paul now gets in front of the magistrates and he gets beaten. It says he's stripped of all his clothing and he gets thrown in jail. Now I want you to see this. Paul, you'll see at the end of Romans chapter 16, that he is a Roman citizen. And in his Roman citizenship, he could have said, hey, you have to give me a fair trial. I'm a Roman citizen. He doesn't invoke that uh, comfort or, or opportunity. He doesn't take it. Instead, he takes the beating and he takes the stripping of his clothes. And so now think about it. He's not in the place he wanted to go to. He, he's being annoyed. And then he heals a girl of a demon and he loses his clothes. He gets beaten and thrown in prison. Things are going great for Paul, aren't they? Okay. And so Paul now is in the middle of prison, the inner sanctum, which is awesome, by the way. Just side note, you can go to Philippi modern day and they have the actual jail that he was at. And they will admit he's a real person that really stayed in this place. Whether or not they believe the rest, I don't know. But we do because the Bible says it. So he's in the middle of this prison. And what is he doing? It says that he's singing and praying to the Lord. So what do we see at the very beginning of his journey to Philippi? That the benefit outweighs the cost. The benefit of being with Jesus outweighs being, losing your clothes, being flogged and beaten, stripped of your freedom, and thrown in prison. The benefit of Christ is greater than the cost. This is the background in which he now preaches, rejoice, rejoice. Has more pop, doesn't it? Story doesn't end here. Earthquake happens. Now Paul has his second opportunity to avoid prison. The jailer goes to kill himself. Paul says, whoa, stop. I'm here. I'm not leaving. I'm going to stay right here. The guard is just moved by this gesture that he would sacrifice his freedom so that this man might live. So he takes him to his house. The jailer accepts Christ. The whole household accepts Christ, baptizes the whole family. Now, what do we officially have? The first converts in Europe. Are there Christians in Europe now? Your temptation is to say no, but there are. Okay, there are, right? And it started when? In Acts 16, through Paul getting rerouted, being stripped naked, beaten, thrown in prison. And now the jailer finds out that the magistrates are going to come back and they're going to release him because they, they figured out he was a Roman citizen. And so he's like, just go now. Paul goes, no, take me back to prison. Third time he could have been, take me back. They need to say it to my face. Paul goes back. So what is Paul demonstrating throughout his first encounter and planting of the church? That the benefit of Christ is greater than the cost that comes from following Christ. So the question for us has to be, does the benefit of Christ outweigh the cost? Because if you can't get there, you A, don't understand the weight of burning in hell and that you are saved from that eternal destiny because the benefit of Christ always outweighs the cost because of the eternal gift that it brings. Now, weighty words, I know. And, and, I, and I know when you, when, you, when you talk about rejoicing and always, I don't want to frame this as fake or, or like it's easy. And so when, when Paul talks about rejoicing and rejoicing, 
I don't want you to think that it's divorce of emotion and pain. Paul was really hurt by the flogging. He really had scars. He might have even cried. He went without clothing. He might have not eaten. He might have been freezing, depending on what time of the season. All of these emotions are really there. What makes it powerful is in light of those true emotions, he's saying it's greater. The benefit is greater to be with Jesus. What does it mean? It means that Paul trusts Christ no matter what the cost. It's better to be with Jesus. He reroutes himself some 600 plus 300, close to 1,000 miles. He takes a beating. He gets shackled. All for the surpassing worth of knowing Jesus. Mind you, he's writing this letter while he's in a Roman prison. So you take all of that. So when Paul says, rejoice and rejoice, always again I will say rejoice. He has the authority and the experience to speak that, doesn't he? Now, this is what I, I need you to understand. It is not negating your hardship. Bring the full weight of your pain because it just magnifies that the benefit is truly greater. You can list out the pain, the hatred, the suffering, the fear, the rejection. List it all out. And see that it's greater, the benefit is greater than all of those things to follow Jesus. Now, the Bible speaks very specifically in this. Probably your favorite passage in all the Bibles, James 1, 2 through 4. Count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds. Isn't that your favorite verse? For you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness. And let the steadfastness have its full effect. Full effect, right? Full effect that you might be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. What is it saying? The suffering is the benefit. Why is the suffering the benefit? Because what happens in suffering is it squeezes the selfishness out of you. And it pours in the intimacy with the Lord through prayer and drawing close. See, what happens when Paul's in prison and he has no clothes and he has no freedom he has, no, he has nothing. All the comforts of the world are stripped away. Presses out all the worldly things. And it forces him now to have this communion with the Lord where he's singing and he's praying. And what the Bible says is consider that joy. Because in that moment you realize when you have nothing, the only thing you need is Christ. The only thing you need is Christ. Everything you need, you have. And what suffering does is it strips it away. And it allows you to focus on Jesus in a way that you wouldn't have done otherwise. That's why it says, consider it joy. Consider it joy. Romans 14, 17 says this, says, for the kingdom of God is not a matter of eating and drinking, but of righteousness and peace and joy and the Holy Spirit. What is he saying? To be a part of the kingdom, to be a citizen of heaven, Paul alludes to this earlier on in Philippians. It's not about comforts and stuff. It's not about accumulating stuff. It's not about accumulating worldly things. It's about being in right relationship, righteousness. It's about peace, not being at war with God. 
And it's about because of the right relationship and because of the peace that you can now have joy through the Holy Spirit. Saying this is what it means to be a part of the kingdom. So what is he saying in essence? This is the most beautiful thing. That there's nothing the world can do to you that will take away Christ. Therefore, you have joy. And when it takes it all away, it just reinforces that you have Christ. Therefore, you have joy. You're no longer at war with God. And so Paul is is preaching this to a people saying the greatest benefit in all the world is Jesus. And there is no cost that could ever make him say that Jesus isn't worth it. So the question for the Christian is, does the benefit of Jesus outweigh the cost? Now remember, this is not saying that you won't have pain, you won't have suffering, that it won't be hard. It's not saying any of those things. You don't need to lie and tell people, oh, everything's great. Lay it out. Your marriage, your your work, your, your friendships, your family, your finance, lay it out. And see, but the benefits of Christ far outweigh all these things. They outweigh all these things. Therefore, I have joy. See, actually, when you're transparent, it makes the joy greater, doesn't it? You don't have to lie about how hard your life is. You can wait, lay it all down and see that it's even greater to have Jesus. And you would take that pain over and over again because you have Christ. Okay? So the benefit is greater than the cost. The second part of this uh, is that the obedience is greater than the comfort. The obedience is greater than the comfort. Look at the next part of this. It says, let, verse 5, let your reasonableness be known to everyone. The Lord is at hand. So what is he saying? You're going to rejoice. People are going to think you are crazy. And he's saying, give them the reasonableness that Jesus is on the throne. The Lord is here. The Lord is here. I will rejoice. I am not arrogant or ignorant in my joy. I have Christ. He's on the throne. What is he getting at? Your circumstance doesn't knock Christ off the throne. Because the temptation is when my comfort is disrupted, I do not want to obey as if Jesus isn't in charge or as if I have permission to ignore his commands or his imperatives. So what is he getting at? There's never a reason to not listen to Jesus. He is completely in charge. He knew this pain would come. He knew this would happen. But in the process of it, Paul can't speak to this immediately, but we get the privilege of looking back and going, that obedience, that disrupting of comfort causes a church that still exists thousands of years later. The obedience is greater than the comfort. You see, what we tend to do is say, well, no, 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 this is disrupting me. This is painful. This is harmful. This is hurtful. And so rather than obey, I'm going to go soothe this pain with something other than Jesus. And this is where Paul is saying, no, 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 no. Don't do that. He says, don't be anxious. Don't be anxious. Verse 6, about anything. Another fancy Greek word for anything means anything. Anything. Don't be anxious about it. It's kind of shrinking our list, isn't it? Always rejoice. Never, ever be anxious. Why? Because Christ is on the throne. 
He's not surprised. He's not caught off guard. He didn't make a mistake. He's not changing his mind. New things aren't happening that he's now going, wow, I didn't see this happening. He says, don't be anxious, but in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be known to God. So he's saying be obedient by bringing this before the Lord. Saying, God, here's the full weight of why I'm angry, why I'm hurt, why I'm scared, why I don't want to forgive, why I don't want to trust you, why I don't want to go to church, why I don't want to read my Bible. Lay it at his feet, it says. Make all these requests known to him. Go to him as the true source to fix the discomfort and the pain. It's better to be obedient than to seek comfort outside of Christ. Because whatever you use to soothe your soul will leave you in pain. It might fix you for a moment. That rage, you feel in power, but then that person still hates you. That job's still not there. That government official's still there. That substance causes you to forget, but then the memory comes back. That avoidance makes you think it's not there, but then it comes back. You see, the comfort's never a true comfort. It's just a temporary comfort. This is why it's saying it's better to obey the king and trust the king because the benefit is greater than the cost. And so this is Paul's admonishment to them. You pray and you bring things before the Lord. And now we're going to go back to Philippians 3, and I want you to see how this ties together, 3, 7 through 9. It says, but whatever I gained, I had. I counted as loss for the sake of Christ. Whatever earthly comfort he had is nothing compared to Christ. And he's backing it up with his words by taking the beating and going to jail and staying. Paul's earned the right to say these words, hasn't he? He's proving it. Verse 8, indeed, I count everything a loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. I should end the sermon right there. Drop the mic. Just let you think on that. He's saying there's nothing better than knowing Christ. There's no earthly comfort that's greater than knowing Christ. Whatever you think will comfort you, it will fail you. It will not sustain you. It will not keep you. It's a temporary fix that just leaves your pain. And it numbs your pain. And then your pain comes back. There's nothing greater than knowing Jesus. This is Paul's point. Nothing greater than knowing Jesus. For his sake, I have suffered the loss of all things. All things. Literally all things. Even his clothes. And count them as rubbish, great English word for nothing, nothing, in order that I may gain Christ and be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, meaning there's no way I could earn this relationship, but that which comes through faith, trusting, believing in Christ, the right relationship from God that depends on faith. So this is all of Philippians now coming together. He starts off Philippians very bold to live as Christ, to die as gain. It's better to obey than to have comfort. It's better to live 
in suffering and pain with Jesus than have the happiness of the world and not have Christ and go to hell. It's better to live in all of that pain and have Christ, have heaven, have the Holy Spirit, have the forgiveness of sins, have the unconditional love of the Father to be truly known and truly loved and truly forgiven in all aspects, no faking it, fully exposed, fully loved. This is why he says he presses on. This is why he says, I consider it rubbish. This is why he says, my citizenship is in heaven. And then he presses on, look, you two girls who are fighting in the church, you need to rejoice and rejoice. The Lord is at hand. Quit your bickering and your fighting. It's good to know they fought in the church then and they fight in the church now. But the command is to rejoice. You're going to spend heaven together forever. You know, work this out, people. You have Christ. Rejoice. It's the command. And we're able to rejoice because the benefit is greater than the cost. And we know this because we see people willingly do things in their jobs every day. Why? Because the benefit outweighs the cost. And when the benefit doesn't outweigh the cost, they don't do it because there's no benefit. And so the question is, do we see the benefit of Christ far outweighing everything, even to the point where obedience will outweigh comfort? And then the last is that truth would outweigh our feelings. Truth would outweigh our feelings. Because here's what happens in suffering and pain. Your feelings tell you God doesn't love you. God can't control this. One or the other, either God's not in control or God doesn't love you. You're all alone. You need to figure this out yourself. You need to make this right on your own because if you don't, no one will ever love you, help you, or complete you. You have to do this all on your own. These are the feelings. God is not good. God doesn't love you. Or these bad things wouldn't have happened to you. And what is he saying? You need to let the truth reign over these feelings. That's why he says, do not be anxious. It's some context. Here's a quote I came across. It says, there are a number of things of note here. As with 3.1, the Philippians are not to naively rejoice in their disunity, their suffering, the threat of false teachers, or the persecution. It is probably due to a combination of their suffering. Persecution, concern from Paul, because he's in prison, anxiety for Epaphroditus, because he's sick, their contention, the fighting between the church members, the threat of the Judaizers, and the other enemies, and a loss of hope. What is he getting at? He's not saying, just act like you don't have pain. He's saying, let the full weight of the pain come. And in that full weight, rejoice. Because it's an opportunity for you to draw close to the Lord. To love him more than you love the comforts of the world. And in that demonstration of faithfulness and obedience, It'll preach to a world that there's nothing greater than Jesus. This is why the Philippian, Philippian jailer converts. He sits there and he goes, you were beaten, put in prison, and you have an opportunity to leave, and you'll stay so that they won't kill me for not doing my job. He says, tell me who you know. Tell me how you could possibly be willing to do this. And he says, I will. It's Jesus. I will do anything for Jesus. See, him being obedient to the truth over his feelings of maybe being alone, being scarred, being naked, bleeding, being without food, being without friends, and just sitting there. The truth over the feeling communicates to the non-Christian, you really mean what you believe. 
it really is greater to know Jesus. Because you could have had an anxious heart, but instead you had reasonableness and joy in the full weight of those circumstances. You don't have to be fake. You don't have to act like life isn't hard. You don't have to lie about the bad relationships and maybe the the dysfunction or the addiction in your life. You lay it down and you present it and you say, "But, but the benefit of Christ is greater. The benefit of Christ is greater. Even though all these things are true, I still have joy. See, this is what makes joy different. In the Bible, just if you could think of it like this, joy never runs. It never runs. It's always there. This is why in Ecclesiastes, the Bible tells us happiness is fleeting. Happiness is fleeting, meaning what? It always leaves. It comes and then it goes. It comes and then it goes. You keep chasing. You have it and it's gone. You see, the ability to have joy is thinking and thinking on the benefits of Christ and then thinking through that, allowing it to shape your emotions and allowing it to shape your heart in a way that says, I do have Christ. You look a little bit further in Philippians 4.8, it says, finally, brothers, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, just, pure, lovely, commendable, or excellent, Anything worthy of praise, he says, think on these things. Think, 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 think. It requires thinking to come to a place of joy because your feelings overwhelm you. And you have to think. And you say, I'm alone, no one cares. No, think. Christ died, Christ paid, Christ suffered, Christ loves you. That thinking now shapes, okay, I'm not alone. Oh, he doesn't love me or this pain. No, he does love you. Paul suffered, Christ suffered. And God was with him in the midst of the suffering. That's a lie. You can't be forgiven. Don't change. Paul was forgiven. He murdered Christians. Think, think, think. All of a sudden, it shapes the heart. It changes the feelings. It allows you to come to a true place of joy. Um, Jesus does this in Matthew 6 and Matthew 7. He's teaching them. This is how you feel. But this is the truth. What does he say in Matthew 6? He says, look, you, you, what, how can being anxious add anything to your life? Meaning this, have you ever worried so much that there became 25 hours in a day? It's never happened, right? If it did, you need to talk to me because I need that gift somehow, right? And saying, nope. What is he trying to teach them? He's teaching them how to think. What does your worrying solve? Does it add more time? No, don't do it. And he goes on, hey, does God take care of the birds? He's like, yeah, he does. They eat, they're fine. Well, guess what? You're more important than the birds, so how much more will he take care of you? Now, I know for some of you that's hard to hear because you think animals are more important than people, but they're not. People are more important than animals. God said so. Read Matthew 6, okay? Don't get mad at me. Get mad at the Bible. What's he getting at? God will take care of you. It's the logic of it. Don't worry. God will take care of you. Everything you need, he provides in Christ. And then when does he come down in Matthew chapter 7? He says, hey, look, you who are evil, very direct. Your parents, you're evil. You know how to give a good gift, don't you? Well, yeah. Even though your kids probably won't like your Christmas presents, but they will like one, right? He's like, you know how to give a gift. 
how much greater does the perfect father give gifts then? See, this feeling of God doesn't love me, it's like, no, 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 he gives gifts, he gives Christ, he gives forgiveness, he gives heaven, he gives the Holy Spirit, he gives the church, you're not alone, he gives comfort. All of the gifts outweigh the cost. The benefit's greater than the cost, therefore have joy. This is how Paul preaches through Philippians. He says, if you want my resume, just remember how this church was started. In prison, beaten and flogged, naked and alone. To live is Christ, to die is gain. Therefore rejoice, rejoice, rejoice. The truth has to reign over your feelings. And when you do that, it communicates to a hopeless world that there's something greater. And the greater is Jesus. When we choose the benefits of Christ over the discomfort and the pain and the suffering of this world and say, that's no reason for me to not love him and obey him, no matter what, I am with him because he has paid for me. Then and only then will they begin to go, wow, that, I need that. I need that. Last part of this in the application, he says, you know, don't be anxious, but do this, right? Do this. Pray, have supplication, make your needs known, do it with thanksgiving, make your requests known before God. So what is he saying? It's like Paul in 2 Corinthians. He has this thorn in his flesh, brings it before the Lord, and he says, take it, please take it, please take it. How many times does Paul ask God to take it? Three. If Paul only asks for three, we should probably stick to three. It's fair, right? And then God says, no, the thorn's staying. She says, okay, then I'm going to boast of my weakness and preach of the greatness of Christ. Preach that at least I have Christ and that makes me great because he is great and I have him. And that's how you can become at peace because you've laid it at the feet of Jesus. Here's this relationship. Here's this addiction. Here's this situation, here's this illness, here's this pain. And then you can be at peace because God, either way, he's either gonna sustain you or he's gonna take it away. Either way, you're good. You don't need to worry about it anymore. You've laid it at the feet of Jesus. And it says, you'll have peace which surpasses all understanding. It'll guard your heart and your mind in Christ Jesus. Meaning, I'm at peace with God, I can trust he's not saying he doesn't love me. He's not leaving me alone. It guards your heart that allows you to have joy because then you can focus on the things of the benefits of Christ, of what he's done for you because you're at peace, you're not at war. Because when you're at war, you don't see the benefits and the gifts and have the joy. It's how it works together. So in our conclusion here, some some things to think through, um, some questions we want to ask. Why is peace a precursor to joy? Why is peace a precursor to joy? Because without it, we can't focus on the gifts because we're constantly saying, God, you're not loving, you're not kind, you're not gracious. Look at what that person has. Look at how they get away with everything. Look at how their kids behave and my don't. Look at their spouse, look at their job, look at their house. They have all of these things. You're not going to have joy because you're angry at the father like he's a bad father. Peace comes through accepting, this is what he's given me, it's more than I need. Now I can say I have salvation, 
I have heaven. I have the Holy Spirit. I have forgiveness. I have joy. Peace precedes joy. How can you have joy but not be fake? Again, this comes back to, it doesn't mean you ignore the pain or you limit the pain. Lay it all out and then talk about the greatness of Jesus and how even though the pain is there, you have Christ. But someone after the last service, I wish I would have known this first service, he told me um, about his son who's a pastor in Germany and he said that he was in a tragic car accident and was given you know, uh, brain trauma to the point where he's in a coma. And he said that his daughter-in-law keeps sending verses encouraging the family that God is good and on the throne. And that the joy of the Lord he sees in her is ministered to him in a way that he couldn't even fathom. See, when the world says you have every reason to hate Christ because of their circumstances, and you say, no, the benefit outweighs the cost, they go, wow, how is that true? How does that happen? It's not being fake. It's saying, yes, my husband might be a vegetable, but I have Christ. And if he takes him, he'll be in heaven where there's no pain, no sin, no shame. He'll have none of these things. He'll be in a better place. And if he comes back, praise God, he'll love Jesus too. It's not being fake. It's being powerful. If you lack joy, why? If you lack joy, why? It's probably because you're at war with God. You're angry that he's not taking care of a fight, a quarrel. He's not punishing someone or he's not giving you something. There's something you think you deserve. He's withholding. Therefore, you can't be joyful because you don't think God's good and great. You don't think the benefits of Christ have merit or you don't realize that going to hell eternally is terrible and being in heaven forever is great. Something in there is broken. How can you work on that? How is biblical joy not dependent on favorable circumstances? The Bible never promises that we won't have hard times. Christ suffered. Paul suffered. But God promises that he'll be with us through the suffering. And that there's nothing the world can do to us that takes away our salvation, our citizenship in heaven, our hope, our joy, our relationship with the Father. That's how Paul's able to sing. Take my clothes, take my citizenship, but you cannot take my Jesus. Therefore, I'll sing. And I'll share. You want to know how I'm singing? Let me tell you about Christ. Paul witnesses in prison because the benefits outweigh the cost. Five, are there times you lack joy or are absent of joy? How can you find joy in hard moments? It's going to be thinking on these things. And it's going to be praying to God and enlisting out, here are the things that are true, that are bothering me in fear and pain and suffering, and then looking on your forgiveness, the love, the future of heaven, the, the, the comfort in the Holy Spirit, focusing on those things and allowing it to shape and inform your feelings in a way that say, okay, there is pain, but Jesus is greater. The benefit outweighs the cost. Therefore, I'll have joy. Six, would people describe you as joyful? This is important. If you were to look online, Christians are more angry than joyful. It's a bad look for us. We're forgiven of our sins, but we're going to get really angry about the government and the line at the mall and how long shipping takes and the things that the government officials are deciding and who cut me off in traffic and, and this person coming over to my you know, house for Christmas. We're angry and we're bitter. But you have Jesus 
yeah, that doesn't matter. My aunt that I hate coming to my house. It's like, what? People, if Paul can be joyful in prison, we can be joyful now. Is that fair? Of course it is. That's why it's written in the Bible. So you go, oh, I need to rethink my anger. I need to rethink my dissatisfaction with Christ. Maybe I should have a little bit more joy because all the things that matter are taken care of. Heaven is yours. You're his child. You're not alone. You're forgiven. And he will punish the wicked that have harmed you. Justice will happen. And it will hurt and it will be painful. You don't need to hold that. You can give it to him. You don't need to be bitter and angry. And you don't need to be fake. You just need to be honest about all that Christ has done for you. Last thing I'll say is this as as I close. Um, Last night I watched uh, the Heisman. And this isn't my way to bring up USC, God, it's eighth Heisman, okay? I want you to listen to this. So um, he said something very fascinating in his speech. And he said, choose your dreams, change your dreams or change your habits. And he said, I refuse to change my dreams, so I'll change my habits. I think in Christianity, it's, it's more like this. Change your truth or change your habits. And what we tend to do is change our truth so that we can keep our habits. We change what God says so that we don't have to change our habits so we can keep our feelings and keep our habits and keep the things but still say we're Christian. You see, to have joy is say, I will change my habits because I will not change the truth that Christ paid for my sin and I owe him everything. I will not change that truth. Therefore, I will change my habits. So the things I run to to bring me joy that are false joy, I'll stop. The things that take my eyes off Christ, I will change. The time I spend, the money I spend, the people, I will change it all because the benefits of Christ outweigh the cost. I will do anything for Jesus because he has a joy that is unspeakable, that never leaves and never runs. That's the joy we get to celebrate this Christmas, amen? Let's pray. God, we love you and we praise you. And we thank you for Jesus. We're thankful that the greatest need of all, a relationship with the Father, eternity in heaven are paid for. It's paid for. That we would truly be able to walk out of here and know that the benefits of Christ far, far exceed the cost. Therefore, whatever I'm going through, I will have joy because the benefits outweigh the cost. It's my prayer that we would respond in singing and praising because we know the benefits of Christ outweigh anything this world could give us, anything this world could do to us. We have Christ, that we would rejoice and again rejoice that we have Christ. We thank you and praise you. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.